So at this point, we have spent three conferences, three days, on seeing this choice of God in coming to us. How He comes to us, and how at every single stage of the way, you can look at it from the respect of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, or joyful, sorrowful, glorious mysteries. In every aspect of the Trinity's choice to come to us, Our Lady is involved. Our Lady is involved. In these last two conferences, we will speak about how we go back to God based on our understanding of the eternal wisdom. So we use this insight of St. Louis. We use this insight into the workings of divine providence. We use our knowledge of the secret. The secret that I told you about on the first day. Hopefully you understand now. We use that secret in order to choose the most perfect path back to God. Today I wish to speak to you about the interior practice of this devotion. Tomorrow I will speak to you about the exterior practice of this devotion. Now the interior practice is the essence of this devotion. What goes on inside of you is more important than anything else. And this devotion is meant to change your interior dispositions. It's supposed to sort of form new interior dispositions. Change your orientation towards God, the way that you approach Him. Change the attitude that you have when you perform your daily activities the way that you react to things that happen to you from the outside. Change, change your whole spirit, in short. So really, only those who are able to accomplish this interior change truly, fully practice this devotion. <coughs> and the, and the, essence, the essence of this interior change is for you to place yourself in dependence on Our Lady. That's what it's all about. So I speak to you today about how we go about forming that disposition of total dependence on Our Lady. St. Louis uses two images to indicate to us how we are to accomplish that. The first is the image of a slave. And the second is the image of a child. But the fact that he uses two images indicates to us that there's no one image really that perfectly portrays this disposition that we want to form in our soul. Now, in the very first conference, I quoted to you an excerpt from St. Louis' formula of consecration to Our Lady, wherein he speaks to our Lord, and he says the following, I give thee thanks for that thou hast annihilated thyself, taking the form of a slave. In order to rescue me from the cruel slavery of the devil, I praise and glorify thee for that thou hast been pleased to submit thyself to Mary, thy holy mother, in all things. And so in the mind of St. Louis, the picture of God himself becoming this microscopic fetus in the womb of one of his creatures is a picture of self-annihilation. And it's also a picture of slavery. In that, well, a child in the womb, he has no physical freedom. He can't go to the store. He he can't choose to go to the next room or go anywhere. Because he's in these cramped quarters. He has no freedom of movement. Now, this language, this incredible language, this bold language outrageous language of St. Louis. I hope you notice it. I give thee thanks for the, thou hast annihilated thyself. He's speaking to God. I, I, th- I give thee thanks that thou hast taken the form of a slave. This is outrageous language. But St. Louis takes it from St. Paul. From St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Wherein St. Paul says that our Lord annihilated Himself, ex made Himself nothing, 
made himself nothing. And St. Paul says he took the form of a slave. And in the, same, in the very same context in, in St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, he says to us that we should have the same mind in ourselves as the mind of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, he annihilated himself, he took the form of a slave. This word slave, this word slave is extremely politically incorrect today. Let's face it, we live in a society that is dominated by liberalism. And by liberalism, I mean the idea that the ultimate good for man is absolute freedom. Liberalism is about freedom. It's about being free. And the liberals propose to us this absolute, total freedom, wherein, in the perfect state, you do whatever you want as far as possible. Whatever you want to do, that is what you do. And as many situations as possible. Such that you see any subjection at all to be intrinsically evil. If I have to subject myself to anybody, to anything, to any law outside of me, including the laws of God, including the laws of my own nature, of my own existence, that I'm not free. I'm being constrained. I'm not able to have my full flourishing. If I'm restricted in any way by any law outside of my own good pleasure. And so... The modern world claims all of these pseudo-rights for man. It extends the boundaries of the liberty of, of, of man beyond those that are established by God. And effectively, it's a lie. It's a mirage. It's a mirage. The liberty that the modern world gives you, that, that people of the past were not given, is the freedom to destroy yourself, to ruin yourself. And this is no true freedom. This is no true freedom. We now say to women that they have the right to destroy their own children in their wombs against the laws of their own maternal nature. We call this a freedom. We give homosexuals the quote-unquote right to make use of people of the same sex against the nature of their own gender and call us a freedom. We give people the right even to change their own gender against the law of their own created existence, of their very person. And we call us a freedom. We must be very clear as traditional Catholics wanting to save our souls, wanting to conform to the plan of the eternal wisdom for you. This is what this is all about. Conforming to the plan of God. Not subjecting God to our own whims and desires. But doing what He wants. Knowing that His plans are much more effective than ours. Because it's not we who made ourselves or who can make ourselves. But it's God who made us. And so you are at your best when you are doing what God has made you to do. And when you are aligning yourself in perfect harmony with His plan. This devotion is all about St. Louis recognizing the plan of God and saying to himself, I want to align myself most perfectly with that plan of God. The so-called modern freedoms are, in fact, slaveries. And this is true for all sin. No matter what it may be, it's all slavery. So the fact is, as St. Louis points out, we have no choice but to be slaves. After original sin, we were made slaves of the devil. And there was no way for us to get out of that. We had no power to deliver ourselves from the bondage to sin and the devil. Be very clear about this. You cannot do anything in the supernatural order worthy of heaven 
without the help of God. You can't do anything for the love of God without the grace of God. This is why people in hell stay in hell. And they don't get out. All they have to do is make one act of love of God and they will get out of there. To make this act of love of God, they need the help of God. But they've rejected God. So they're not going to get this help for all eternity. Because they never get this help from God, they never get this grace from God, they can never perform any supernatural act worthy of heaven. And they're stuck. They're stuck in hell forever. And so, we, after sin, are stuck in slavery of sin with no remedy. And then our Lord Jesus Christ comes and He purchases us from the devil, as it were, by His death on the cross. So, we go from the slavery of the devil, but truly to the slavery of our Lord. We do not belong to ourselves, says St. Louis, but are entirely His, as His members and His slaves, whom He has bought at an infinitely dear price, the price of all His blood. Before baptism, we belong to the devil as His slaves. But baptism has made us true slaves of Jesus Christ, who have no right to live, to work, or to die, except to bring forth fruit for that God-man, to glorify Him in our bodies, and to let Him reign in our souls, because we are His conquest, His acquired people, and His inheritance. So the fact is, there are only two possibilities for a man. You are either the slave of Christ, or you are the slave of the devil. If you want to get out of the slavery of the devil, you have to be purchased by our Lord. And this purchasing by our Lord is so complete, is so total, that, well, you owe our Lord everything. You owe Him absolutely everything. And so... Because we've been purchased by our Lord and we are His slaves, we owe Him. We owe Him wages. And for St. Louis, this is obvious. The modern world, to the contrary, the modern world doesn't speak about duties anymore. It doesn't consider us as having any duties. You're not bound to anybody. You live your own life. I live my life. You live your life. We all have our own lives. And I have no right to tell you what's right. You have no right to tell me what's right. We just go our separate ways. Because don't let anybody impose on you in any way. That's the modern law. But for St. Louis, it's obvious that our Lord has rights over us. And that we totally belong to Him. And either you totally belong to Him, or you're with the devil. So we owe Him service. But how are we going to render this service? We who are totally subject, subject to Him. We who throw off the pseudo-liberty of the modern world. Reject it. No, thank you. I'm not interested in destroying myself. I'm not interested in going against the law of God, which is the law of my own nature. For doing the reverse of what I am. For denying my own existence turning in a separate way. I'm not interested in that so-called freedom. I willingly, lovingly subject myself to our Lord Jesus Christ because only in Him can I find my true fulfillment, my perfect completion. Outside of Him, I'm a wreck, a total wreck. For St. Louis, the most honorable title that a person could ever possibly assume to himself is that of a slave of Jesus and Mary. So he glories in this opportunity to annihilate himself by a total slavery. There is nothing among men, he says, 
which makes us belong to another more than slavery. There is nothing among Christians which makes us more absolutely belong to Jesus Christ and His Holy Mother than the slavery of the will. So it's, it's internal. It's interior. Primarily it's interior. Slavery of the will. According to the example of Jesus Christ Himself, who took on Himself the form of a slave for love of us, and also according to the example of the Holy Virgin, who called herself the servant and slave of the Lord. The Apostle, St. Paul, he calls himself, as by a title of honor, the slave of Christ. And Christians are often so called in Holy Scripture. So we have to somehow remove from our minds this negative connotation that's associated with the word slave. This is a slavery that is in our best interest. It's a title that we embrace. If our Lord became a slave for us, if Our Lady readily declared herself on the day of the Annunciation to be the slave of God, how could we refuse this title? But if we are to be a slave, are we to be a slave of, of our Lord or to be a slave of Our Lady, which one? Well, the answer is quite simply both. And I hope you understand now that those who belong to Christ the King necessarily as well belong to Our Lady, the Queen, whether they realize it or not. Those two, the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart, cannot be ripped apart. They cannot be separated. Their relationship, their respective roles in our redemption as new Adam and new Eve have not changed, cannot change for all eternity. We recognize this, we accept it, we embrace it. So the slaves of our Lord are the slaves of Our Lady because she was the inseparable companion of His work of redemption. And so because of this, St. Louis says in paragraph 75 of his work, we may call ourselves and make ourselves the loving slaves of the Most Holy Virgin in order to be, by that very means, more perfectly the slaves of Jesus Christ. Our Blessed Lady is the means our Lord made use of to come to us. She is also the means which we make use of to go to Him. For she is not like all other creatures who, if we should attach ourselves to them, might rather draw us away from God than draw us near Him. The strongest inclination of Mary is to unite us to Jesus Christ, her Son. And the strongest inclination of the Son is that we should come to Him through His Holy Mother. It is to honor and please Him, just as it would be to do honor and pleasure to a king, to become more perfectly His subject and His slave by making ourselves the slaves of the Queen. So Our Lady is this most perfect means to our Lord. And our Lord wants us to go through Our Lady. He established Our Lady from all eternity to be this most perfect means. And so there's no choice for us once we understand this but to give ourselves over to our Lord Jesus Christ as, as entirely as possible by placing ourselves in total dependence on Our Lady. So, if we wish to embrace this slavery, we have to go all the way. We have to go all the way. Once you've understood, I want to give myself totally to our Lord through Our Lady. I want to be this slave. So what am I going to do? The whole image of slavery, in my mind, is St. Louis trying to indicate to us the totality of this consecration. But by this consecration, you leave nothing that you have not given away. You give everything. And so, St. Louis, he, he uses a very, very effective comparison to illustrate to us this total dependence that we place ourselves with respect to Our Lady. 
because he compares the difference between a servant and a slave. And, and again, for us, this is all very foreign because we just don't have these sorts of people anymore. We don't have servants and slaves. I'm not saying that I'm an advocate for slavery. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not an advocate for slavery as it was practiced in the past by the Romans and so on. But I am a, a, a very much an advocate of enslaving ourselves to our Lord through Our Lady. It's not at all the same thing. So, a servant was, was more like a, a hired person. The servant retained some possessions of his own. He could own property. Whereas the slave surrendered all that he had or would have in the future to his master without exception. He owns nothing. The servant gets a wage. He gets a salary for his servant services. Whereas a slave, no matter how much work the slave does, he never gets a penny. No payment. The servant has freedom. The servant can leave or stop working whenever he wants. He can say, well, it's been good, but I'm going to go find some other employment. I want to get another job. Whereas the slave has no right to ever leave his master. The servant has his life in his own hands. Whereas the slave, his life is in the hands of his own master. Uh, this is the way it worked with the patrifamilias in Roman times. The head of the family had such incredible power, too much power, too much power. They didn't have the faith to balance them out. So the, the father of the family had absolute power over his subordinates. So should he even have power of life and death. He could put his slaves to death and get no recriminations on the part of the law. No punishment whatsoever. The law considered it completely within his rights put his servants, to put his slaves to death. And the servant works for a certain period of time while the slave works for life. So, are we going to do this? Are we going to give ourselves so totally over to our Lord through Our Lady? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is accomplished by an act of total consecration. The word consecration signifies the taking of some creature and setting it aside for the service of some sacred purpose. This is what a consecration is all about. Setting a material thing apart for sacred purposes. And so, St. Louis has us kneel before our Lord and our Lady and make an act of total consecration, total enslavement to them, such that we set aside everything that we have, everything in the order of nature, uh, on the level of, of our human nature, and everything in the order of grace, whatever we may have accomplished in the supernatural order. And we give them all away. Here, these are yours. I'm a slave. My life is in your hands. My good is in your hands. My person is in your hands. Everything. I have nothing left to give. And so he says, and it's contained in the formula of consecration, that we give to Our Lady our body with its senses and all of its members, our arms, our eyes, our face, whatever it may be. We give to Our Lady our soul with all its powers, our, our mind, our will, passions, imagination, memory, all these faculties of our soul. We give her all of our possessions, our house, our car, our goods, our family members, both that we have right now and all the possessions that we ever will have in the future, till the end of our days. And then we give as well our spiritual goods. And by our spiritual goods is meant the fruits that come from all of our good works. 
And St. Louis explains what, what this means. You have two good things that can come from your supernatural actions. In other words, those actions that are done in the state of grace for a fitting motive. For the love of God or for the fear of hell. You get something supernatural for that. By supernatural, I mean something that, ex- that exceeds this earth. It exceeds human time. It, it, it has an effect in eternity. It counts for eternity. One of these things is the payment of sin, satisfaction. So you do penance and you pay for sin. We give that away. We give it to our Lord to use for those who need it and for the glory of God. Another thing that you gain from supernatural actions is merit, something called merit. This is treasure in heaven. This increases your supernatural worth. It's gained you a higher place in heaven. Depending on your level of merit, when you die, the level of your love of God, you will be placed in heaven at a certain spot. And what this means is that you will have a certain ability to receive the beatific vision. Not everyone in heaven sees God in the same way. Those who died with a higher level of the love of God see God more clearly than those who die with a lower level. And so this meritorious value of our good actions is what gains us grace and eternal glory. And we give it away. We give it to our Lord to preserve, to augment, and to embellish. And so says St. Louis, by this consecration, we give away absolutely everything that we could give away. He says we give away even more than is given away in religion. You know, in religion, they take the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But there's no religious order in the world that claims possession of the value of your supernatural works. And so St. Louis adds this, giving away of our, our good works in the order of grace. And if we follow this consecration and, and we live it interiorly, we no longer consider ourselves as able to dispose of the value of any of our good actions. We no longer sort of say to our Lord or our Lady, look, look, hey, see what I did over there? See, see this and that that I did? Yeah, I prayed those five rosaries on that one day. Therefore, you should give me this or that or the other. But no, it's for them. And they get to decide to do whatever, with those things whatever they want. Now, in normal human activity, such an act of consecration would be total madness. It would be insanity. Can you imagine doing this with, with any human being? Saying to the human being, you have total possession over my body, over my, all of my external goods, over my family, over all of my supernatural works. It's all yours. Because I trust you. I trust you. We would never ever do that to any human being, normally speaking. However, in this consecration, we understand the goodness of our Lord and our Lady. And because of that understanding, this consecration for us is not madness, but profoundly wise. In fact, the very best decision for us the most advantageous things that we can do. Because of the fact that our Lord and Our Lady are not only trustworthy, but they're a lot more trustworthy than we are. If I rely on myself to accomplish these great things, for instance, to face life, which is much bigger than we are. Life is way too big for us. It has enormous consequences and we're we're just so tiny facing that problem of life. If we if we rely on ourselves, then we are fools. We we are 
deceived. We're not acting very wisely. So you can imagine this consecration. We sort of imagine ourselves standing at the top of a cliff and we need to get down to the bottom and Our Lady's standing down there. And she's saying, come, I will take care of you. And we don't hesitate. We just close our eyes and we jump. We jump. And we leave the rest to Our Lady. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, St. Louis understands that this is a bit extreme. And the people will get worried when they hear about all this. They hear about this consecration where they've got nothing left. After it's all said and done, there's nothing left that they have. And so he poses two objections that may be brought forward by those souls who are getting a little bit nervous when we get to this point. A little bit nervous about making this consecration to Our Lady. One person would say, if, if I give away all these good works, well, I won't be able to help anybody anymore. I won't be able to pray for them. Everything's going to go to Our Lady. I won't be able to, to help my, my parents or my family or my friends by my prayers. She's going to take it all. What if I want to help these people? These are good desires. I should be able to do this. St. Louis does not answer this objection directly. He doesn't say to you, oh, that's all right, that's all right. No, you, that's all right. You'll still keep something for yourself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He says, you cannot possibly suffer from the fact that you reserve and consecrate yourself entirely to Our Lady. You can't possibly get a bad deal out of giving yourself so totally to Our Lady. If Our Lady were stingy, if Our Lady were not interested in us, this would be a problem. If this were a merely human contract, yes. Secondly, he says, we should pray with all the more confidence for others, living and dead, in that, Having given all to Our Lady, we are more sure of having our prayers answered through her. She will never be outdone in gratitude. And, and this, is, this is the key point here. This is the key point of the whole devotion, really. Is the fact that we are entering into a contract with Our Lady. Wherein we invest all of our trust in her. And we completely distrust ourselves. And so, while we don't see what's going to happen from this, and while we don't know how she's going to help us out, yet we know that whatever it may be, we will be much better off united to her and working on our own. Another objection is that, well, if I give away everything and I stop paying for my own sins... I'm going to be in purgatory till the end of the world. I'm not paying for my sins anymore. And so, I'm already stuck in some fiery dungeon until the end of the world. And that's, that's not going to be pleasant. So again, St. Louis doesn't answer directly. But he says, Will a soul be punished more hereafter because it was more generous and disinterested here below? Again, don't start doing accounting. Don't get out the, the, the book of Psalms and start measuring things and saying, all right, if I do this consecration and I do the totals, yes, I will come out $10,000 ahead. And so I should make this consecration. Yes, it is a good deal. It's going to work. Well, see, this is the wrong attitude. It is... Our Lady is very good. Our Lord is very good. God has established this beautiful path for me to unite myself with our Lord. And it requires 
a total trust on my part. So I give away everything, give away my whole life, all my supernatural works. And I look no further. He mentioned that the slave doesn't get any wage for his work. And we sort of say to ourselves, like, like St. Therese did with God, where, wherein she signs her name at the bottom of the page, and she just gives the, the paper to God, so nothing else is written on it. He, she says to God, write whatever you want on it. Write whatever you want on it. You know, I've signed my name. I don't know what you're going to decide, but I've committed myself. I've committed myself. It's the same attitude that we have here. A second image that St. Louis uses to indicate to us this interior disposition that we should have towards Our Lady is the image of a child. And while the image of the slave was to indicate the totality of the giving of ourselves, the, the purpose of this image is to indicate the humility, confidence, and trust of this consecration. And St. Louis has this very extended biblical allegory that he uses in order to depict for us this attitude of trustful dependence on Our Lady. It's the allegory of Jacob and Esau. So you have Jacob, which is us, and you have Esau, which is people who are going to hell, and you have Rebecca, which is Our Lady. So, I don't know how familiar you are with the story, but you have Isaac, the son of Abraham, marrying Rebecca. She's barren. He prays to God, and after they've been married for 20 years, she conceives twins in her womb. And these twins are doing battle in her womb. sort of struggling in her own womb. And she goes to ask God what's going on. Um, And he says to her, two nations are in thy womb, and two peoples shall be divided out of thy womb. And one people shall overcome the other. So these two peoples are the race of the damned, those who are not in tune with the eternal wisdom for their own good and the race of the elect, who are in tune with that eternal wisdom. And so you have these twins come out, who are not only not identical, they're total opposites, Jacob and Esau. They're on total different spectrums of the human scale. He that came forth first was red and hairy like a skin. His name was called Esau. Immediately the other coming forth held his brother's foot in his hand, and therefore he was called Jacob. So Esau is red and hairy, and Jacob has more of a a pale complexion and very smooth. He's very smooth skinned. And when they grow up, of course, their different temperaments sort of blossom. When they were grown up, Esau became a skillful hunter, and a husbandman. But Jacob, a plain man, dwelt in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his hunting. And Rebekah loved Jacob. St. Louis looks at this story and this little verse about these two different paths of these two twins. And he says, well, Esau likes to be away from home. Esau is a worldly man. He likes to go out and he trusts in his own skills. He's very proud of his own abilities. He thinks he can do everything. He has no problem rubbing elbows with worldly people. And that's his preferred situation. In fact, Esau is very superficial. He's a very superficial man. Jacob, however, he's more of a homebody He's definitely a mama's boy. Jacob is tender, sensitive, reflective, contemplative. Jacob likes to stay close to his mother. Esau is a man of the senses. A man of the senses. A man of the instant. 
of the immediate. He loves what the world has to offer, so he engages himself in it. And we see this especially in the episode where Esau sells his own birthright to Jacob. And Jacob boiled pottage, to whom Esau, coming faint out of the field, said, Give me of this red pottage, for I am exceeding faint. And Jacob said to him, Sell me thy first birthright. It's ridiculous. He answered, Lo, I die. What will the first birthright avail me? But he wasn't going to die. He was just hungry. He was just very hungry. Right? But he wasn't going to drop dead in that moment. Right? Jacob said, Swear therefore to me. Jacob knows Esau. He's superficial. He says what he doesn't mean. If you're going to get it, you have to bind him to something. Right? He's not a consistent man. He's not a disciplined man. He's not an ordered man. So you have to bind him to his own word. Esau swore to him and sold his first birthright. And so, taking bread and a pottage of lentils, he ate and drank and went his way, making little account of having sold his first birthright. We have an expression about getting something for a mess of pottage. In other words, we use it to indicate a bad deal. A bad deal. You, you have Esau, who is in the line of Abraham. Who, is, who could be in the line of the Messiah. Understand what Esau is giving away. He's giving away being the progenitor of the Messiah. But even if he didn't know that, what is he giving away? He's giving away his first birthright. He doesn't even think about it. He just says, oh, I'm hungry. Give me some food. Oh, you want my first birthright? Fine. He, he slams down the food, and then he just walks away. No big deal. No big deal. For St. Louis, his birthright is heaven. It's heaven. And the reprobates... They make little account of heaven. They don't care. Yeah. Spiritual things. Ah, oh, no big deal. No big deal. Heaven, eternal happiness, saving my soul. Who cares? Who cares? No big deal. Jacob appreciates the birthright. He knows its value. And so he asks Esau to, to sell it to him. And that's exactly what happens. But did you know, after this, Rebecca manages to get that first birthright from Isaac. So Isaac tells Esau to go get some food for him and he'll give him the, the, the blessing. And Rebecca, as is typical for wives, knows exactly what's going on. She's in tune to all the things that are going on. Whereas Jacob doesn't realize. So she says to her son Jacob, I heard thy father talking with Esau thy brother, and saying to him, Bring me of thy hunting, and make me meats that I may eat, and bless thee in the sight of the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, follow my counsel. Go thy way to the flock. Bring me two kids of the best, that I may make of them meat for thy father, such as he gladly eats, which when thou hast brought in, and he has eaten, he may bless thee before he dies." For St. Louis, this is Our Lady. This is Our Lady. And Jacob, because he's close to Rebecca, he gets the advantage of her looking out for his affairs. And she's going to make sure, as she will for us, whatever he needs, he will get. And she's going to give him good counsel. She's going to give him good advice. She's going to tell him to go kill those two kids. For St. Louis, our body and our soul. Give up your body and your soul. Die to yourself. Yes. And to prepare them for the Heavenly Father, Isaac being the Heavenly Father. He answered her, Thou know that Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am smooth. If my father shall feel me and perceive it, I fear lest he will think that I would have mocked him, and I shall bring upon me a curse instead of a blessing. And his mother said to him, Upon me be this curse, my son. 
Only hear thou my voice, and go fetch me the things which I have said. She doesn't say, don't worry, don't worry. She, or, I'm going to fix it in this way. She doesn't tell him what she's going to do. She, she eventually puts some skin, some, some goat skin, on Jacob to make him hairy like his brother Esau. But the fact is that Jacob doesn't argue with her. He just does exactly what she says. He doesn't ask for the question. He trusts. He trusts his mother. This is exactly how children act. You know, children have an amazing ability to not be conscious of themselves. To not be conscious of themselves. This is the mark of a child. It's only over time that we really become conscious of ourselves and, in fact, too conscious of ourselves. So, this childlike dependence that we want to have on Our Lady is we don't think about ourselves anymore. We just instinctively go to her. We entrust all these things to her. And after that, we're happy. We're happy. We're not worried anymore. We, we don't sort of become miserable worrying about whatever it may be because we have entrusted it to Our Lady. And we listen to her advice and we go on. We go on. So, of course, Jacob goes, he obeys. He comes back. She, Our Lady, prepares the meats as she knows Isaac likes. And she has Jacob go in with these meats. She also puts these, these skins, the skins of the kids, in fact, that he killed, puts on him, covers his neck and his hands. And... Jacob gets the blessing of Isaac and becomes this forefather of the Messiah. He's in the line of the new Adam and the new Eve. Um, and he gains heaven. In St. Louis' mind, all of these things that Rebecca does show Our Lady's actions towards those who are devoted to her. It's said that Rebecca loved Jacob. Well, St. Louis says, Our Lady loves you because she is your true mother and because she is grateful for the love that you show her. He says, Our Lady loves us tenderly, more tenderly than all other mothers put together. Throw, if you can, all the natural love which all the mothers of the world have for their children into the heart of one mother for only one child. Surely that mother will love that child immensely. Nevertheless, it is true that Mary loves her children still more tenderly than that mother would love that child of hers. Then, as well, Our Lady works on our behalf uh, to obtain God's blessing. She's looking. She's looking around for the best opportunities to obtain God's blessing for us and to enrich us. And she has the advantage of being able to see far in advance any evils that might come upon us. And she blocks them. She prevents them. This is the, corresponds to Rebecca seeing that, that Esau is going to kill Jacob. Esau, after he gets his first birthright stolen from him, he says, I'm going to kill Jacob as soon as my father dies. Rebecca, look, he, again, she's listening. She hears this. And she plans for Jacob to go away. Our Lady makes us worthy to appear before our Heavenly Father. She puts us in the clothing of her Son. She clothes us with those, with those skins, adorning us with our own merits after removing what is impure in them and communicating to us her own merits and virtues. And then she gives us to obtain the blessing of the Heavenly Father. So she prepares us and she looks at us and says, Yeah, I think you're good. Now go see the Heavenly Father. And she pleads for us, and she obtains this great blessing of the Heavenly Father, the blessing of divine grace, the blessing of our daily bread, which means for St. Louis, even temporal benefits, even the goods of this world. You, you won't have to worry too much about them. And then mastery over the reprobates for eternity. He says she sustains us body and soul, such that we eat from the divine table, 
which is the flesh of our own Son. And we receive many graces and gifts from God. He says that she gives us a good portion, and indeed the best portion, to nourish and maintain her children. She conducts and guides us. Now, if we are able to foster this interior practice of the devotion, we will have this habit of consulting Our Lady and asking her to guide us in our actions and looking for her advice. And I'm not saying that you're going to get an apparition from Our Lady, or that you're going to get a phone call, or that she's going to speak to you in your head, some sort of an interior locution or, or anything like that. That's not, not what I'm talking about. But I, what I'm saying is you will be more sensitive to the operations of divine grace. You'll be, better be able to understand which direction God is pushing you in to make the best choices. He says, Fear not that a true child of Mary can be deceived by the evil one or fall into any formal heresy. There where the guidance of Mary is, neither the evil spirit with his illusions nor the heretics with their subtleties can ever come. She defends and protects us from our enemies. This good mother and powerful princess of the heavens will rather dispatch battalions of millions of angels to assist one of her servants and that it should ever be said that a faithful servant of Mary who trusted in her had had to succumb to the malice, number, and vehemence of his enemies. But he says the greatest good of all is the fact that she intercedes for us with her son, that she appeases him by her prayers and she unites us to him in an intimate bond that she preserves. So this is what we really, really want. Above all, from this devotion, we want union with our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how welcome to Jesus Christ, the Father of the world to come, is a child perfumed with the good odor of Mary. Oh, how promptly and perfectly is such a child united to his Lord. And so when we make this consecration to Our Lady, we try as best as possible to form in ourselves the interior dispositions of total, absolute dependence on Our Lady, both as a slave and as a child with respect to Our Lady. To the degree that you are able to do this, you will certainly be practicing the devotion, but you will also be becoming very holy. It's, it's the perfect path established by our Lord. So that is the interior practice of this devotion, and tomorrow we will speak to you about some exterior practices of this devotion.